Let's pray. We ask our Father that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will, through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that we might live a life worthy of you and please you in every way, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. With Christmas not far behind us, it's very likely that most of you would have received some sort of gift. Most gifts delight and surprise us. With some gifts we can only smile and say thank you. And occasionally you receive a gift that you just couldn't anticipate. I received a gift like that last Christmas. It was a two-foot statue of a crinkly-faced, pointy-eared little man from Star Wars called Yoda. And it was with an explanatory note to point out some supposed similarities between Yoda and myself. Can you see the resemblance? I hope not. Now, of course, if I was looking for similarities between some Hollywood character and myself, I'm pretty sure that Yoda would not have been my first choice. But that's the thing about gifts. You don't normally get to choose them. They're chosen for you. And that's certainly true about gifts from God. But if you could choose a gift from God, what would you choose? Now, that's a difficult question to answer because the possibilities are almost limitless. And all gifts from God are equally desirable, aren't they? Well, you might think so, but Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 14, eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Now that's quite unexpected, since Paul has made it clear in chapter 12 that all the gifts are important, and in chapter 13 he's downplayed prophecy as something that will cease, and only love will last forever. So what's so important about prophecy? And why does Paul contrast it with tongues? These were important questions at the time, and in 2,000 years they don't seem to have gone away. Along with tongues, prophecy is still one of those gifts that's easily misunderstood and misused in the church. Not everyone even agrees on what Paul means by prophecy. So I want to first establish what I think he means and then go on to try and understand the implications for Christian conduct and orderly worship. To do that, I want to first make it clear what I'm sure that Paul is not saying. I'm sure that Paul's not saying that the gift of prophecy gives us an apostolic mandate or the authority to declare God's word as coming directly from God to us. If that was true, then any gift of prophecy among us would give our words the same authority as scripture. And that can never be true. The Bible alone is absolutely authoritative and the canon is closed. There is no scripture still being written. And God's final message to us is in his son, Jesus Christ, and the revelation given to his apostles. To be a prophet or an apostle like that is certainly not what Paul means when he speaks here of a gift of prophecy. As Christians, we are not looking for any new message or revelation. What we have received from the apostles and the prophets, we keep as the pattern of sound teaching. 
we guard the good deposit that was entrusted to them and recorded in the Old and New Testaments. As Jude says, we contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. The Bible is all-sufficient to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So the gift of prophecy that Paul speaks about in chapter 14, well, it's not the equivalent of Old Testament or New Testament revelation. If we look carefully at what Paul does say about prophecy in chapter 14, we see in verse 3 that prophecy strengthens, it encourages, and it comforts. In verse 4, prophecy edifies the church. In verse 19, it instructs. And in verses 24 and 25, it convicts. There's nothing there that's remotely predictive. This is not about telling the future. This is about telling forth the mind of God. And it's very much in the present. So when we gather as God's people, we don't primarily do so looking for a new revelation. We hopefully come looking for an old teaching concerning the deposit of truth. Tell me the old, old story of Jesus and his glory. And it's the Bible alone that's the authoritative record of that story. Now, having said that about the primacy of the Bible, I would also want to say that we shouldn't think that God speaks to us only as we read the Bible. God can and he does communicate with us as we listen and learn from one another, perhaps at a Bible study or other circumstance. But God can and he does communicate with us as we listen to a sermon, especially if it's expositional. But God communicates with us in all sorts of ways and what we do for and say to one another can be a part of that communication. And it doesn't have to happen in church. We don't need to hear or read the Bible directly to be encouraged or challenged or convicted by God's Holy Spirit. God is sovereign. He can, he has, and he will continue to speak to us through one another, through the mouths of children, through donkeys, and perhaps even through those who hate us. If prophecy is God communicating with and through his people, then speaking godly wisdom into the life of another could surely qualify as prophecy. It won't make you an Old Testament prophet predicting judgment and redemption. And it doesn't make you in any way apostolic announcing new revelation. But it does make you a vessel fit for God's purpose. It does make you one who edifies the church. So if you are desiring spiritual gifts, and I hope you are, then by all means desire prophecy. But please, check the Bible first. Make sure that you're not making up some new revelation in your head. So let's look a little closer at the text and ask, why is it that prophecy is so important and why is it better than tongues? Well, ultimately, prophecy is important and preferred because it edifies. 
as Christians who love one another, that's what we want. We want to build one another up. After we meet, we want to leave here encouraged, stronger in our faith than when we arrived. Prophecy will do that, but not tongues. For as Paul says in verse 4, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Now I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear about tongues, but the clearest example of tongues is what happened on the day of Pentecost. What the apostles spoke was heard in different tongues or languages by all who were present. It was clearly an extraordinary miracle. But tongues, as Paul describes them here, seem to be a private communication between an individual and God. In verse 16, Paul describes tongues not as a foreign language, but as praising God with your spirit. And in verse 18, he personally testifies that this is a positive experience for which he thanks God. But because it's so personal, it's only valuable for the person involved and not the church. Others can't understand what's being said because, as Paul says in verse 2, he utters mysteries by the Spirit. So because we come to church not to show off spiritual gifts, but for mutual edification, then speaking in tongues in church should be limited. And unless it's interpreted, it simply shouldn't happen. In church, prophecy should always be preferenced over tongues, because prophecy is a gift that builds up the church. But prophecy also serves the purpose of communicating with unbelievers. The Apostle John tells us that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. If that's so, and I'm sure it is, then whenever we share the gospel, whenever we testify concerning Jesus, in some measure we are being prophetic. Now suppose an unbeliever or an inquirer simply comes to visit us out of curiosity. If we're all speaking in tongues, then that might make their visit rather memorable. But they would also very likely think we were all mad. What's not likely is that tongues would convict them of sin and lay bare the secrets of their heart. On the other hand, prophecy may do just that. Because prophecy is an intelligible word from God. Because prophecy bears witness to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So prophecy is important and preferred because it edifies the church. And it testifies to the saving grace of the gospel. So what does prophecy look like when God's people are gathered? Well, from verses 26 to 35, Paul deals with that very question. And though it's not a script to be reproduced, it is a pattern to be followed. Certainly a church service should be orderly, so that those who attend may be edified. As for the style of what's happening, it should be edifying. But what we do should be clear and inviting, to believer and unbeliever alike. But especially edifying should be the content of what we say 
and what we sing. The words of the song, therefore, are not incidental. A nice tune is no compensation for poor theology. So if tongues do happen in church, they should always be interpreted and limited to a few. So too prophecy should be limited to a few and subject to careful consideration. Now it seems to me highly unlikely that many at St Augustine's will want to speak in tongues and prophesy all at once, if at all. My observation is that very few are comfortable to speak or pray outside the scripted liturgy. But I would encourage you nonetheless to be willing and prepared to publicly testify to the gospel of grace. Now this is not an expectation and even less an invitation for you to pop up unannounced and make a speech. But it is an invitation for you to talk to Adam or Tinica or myself about what it is that you may wish to share. For what we share in church is not a personal revelation of the previously unknown. Instead, it should be a biblical application of a truth, a truth grounded in the gospel of grace, revealed in God's holy word, and mediated by God's Holy Spirit. As Paul says from verse 32, the spirit of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. For God is not the God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. So prophecy is not about making announcements for events or causes. It's not about declaring miraculous answers your personal prayers. Prophecy is about the testimony of Jesus. It's about the gospel of grace and the transforming work of God's Holy Spirit in your life. Let it be a word of encouragement or comfort or exhortation or even conviction. But above all, let it be a testimony that edifies the church. It's the sort of witness that I've typically heard at Bible studies and small group meetings. And the few times that I've seen it happen in church, where someone has shared a testimony, a prophecy if you like, it's always been encouraging. It's always strengthened God's church in faith and hope and love. And though in verses 34 and 35, Paul says that women should remain silent in the churches, he's certainly not excluding them from public prayer and prophecy. He's already affirmed that in chapter 11. What Paul does not envisage is a non-gendered headship and teaching responsibility in the church. And that's not a cultural quirk of patriarchal arrogance. Rather, it's an understanding of headship rooted in creation and the fall, and portrayed in marriage, the church, and the trinity. Paul's concern here, however, is not exclusively theological or cultural. Paul's being pragmatic. He doesn't want to put limits on women praying or prophesying in church, but he does want to limit the behaviour of disruptors. 
He does want, as he says in verse 40, that everything may be done in a fitting and orderly way. In the final few verses of chapter 14, Paul raises the question of authority. Where should we turn to settle disputes in the church about what's true and what's not? The Corinthians, like so many today, were content to look to the subjectivities of their own experiences and the collective judgments of the prevailing culture. How we feel about something and what's trending on Twitter seem to be the ultimate sources of ever-changing truth in our culture. Most people today who are less than 50 don't actually believe that there's any such thing as real truth. Even measurable scientific data doesn't carry a lot of weight unless it confirms the dominant cultural ideology. I saw a good example of that on ABC's Q&A a few years ago before I vowed to stop watching the show. Four panellists were asked to deal with the question of what is it that promotes human flourishing? What enables a society to function well? One of the panellists was a researcher and sociologist. She said that every study in the last 50 years, every indicator without exception, showed that communities and cultures functioned best when children had stable homes. That is, a mum and a biological dad who stayed together. A family where at least one parent was employed and both parents were at home most every night. A family that valued education, good health and good manners. There was no study or research anywhere that indicated otherwise. Now you might think that there's a truth that can't be denied, but it was dismissed out of hand because one of the other panellists said that she had come from a broken home and turned out okay. That was her experience and therefore the only truth that should be acknowledged. Now, that's the modern mindset, that's the cultural norm of postmodernism. It's a mindset in which the only authority is personal experience and how you feel about any particular issue. But Paul calls us, the church, to submit to the authority of scripture. And that's the standard by which we must judge any claim to truth. As 21st century Christians, however, there's a temptation for us to accommodate cultural norms and believe that church and truth and worship can somehow be reinvented to suit our personal tastes and preferences. But it can't be so. We can't reinvent church and truth and worship as Paul says in verse 36, as if the word of God originated with us. If we are to practice the gift of prophecy or any other gift of the Spirit, then we can only do so subject to the Lord's commands, revealed to God's apostles and prophets and safeguarded for us in the Old and New Testaments. If we ignore this, then we also shall be ignored. But as we embrace it, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And the word of Christ shall dwell in us richly as we teach, 
and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in our hearts. So brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but let everything be done in fitting and orderly way. And whatever we do, whether in word or deed, let us do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen.